You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today's passage is Isaiah 4, 2-6. In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honour of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and cleanse the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by spirit of judgment and by spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you know that in the United Kingdom, uh, the TV channel, BBC, uh, they don't display advertisements? This is because they are a public broadcasting operator and are paid by the British citizens. Imagine watching TV with no ads. What a joy. Did you know in the United Kingdom... Wherever the Queen is residing, a royal flag must wave at the top of the building. Did you know in the United Kingdom it is against the law to sell alcohol to anyone under 18, but children under this age are allowed to drink alcohol at home? Fun times. Did you know in the UK that all sorts of horses must have passports? Come on, guys, this is like common knowledge for, for people that live under the Commonwealth, right? We should know this. This is just general knowledge. That's why your faces shouldn't be surprised. But let's be real. Although we're a Commonwealth country, I, I think the idea of being part of a kingdom is a bit foreign to us. You know, even though technically we do live uh, under one as a Commonwealth country, <laughs> Amelia, not a native Commonwealth, <laughs> just for us. I'm sorry, Amelia. But even though technically we do live under one as a Commonwealth country, maybe it's because those who rule us feel quite distant. Uh, The only time it feels anywhere close to real is maybe when, you know, a prince or princess is getting married and it's on every one of our TV channels. Or maybe it's a bit real when we just look at our coins when we're trying to count how much spare change we have and we see the face of the queen. You know, this definitely wasn't the case for somebody like the people like the Israelites who lived through the reign and rule of kings. And not long before our passage, they they had lived under the glory days of the rule of King David, a united kingdom. Yet now we're in a place where they had split and were ruled separately in the north and south, uh, as Luke shared last week, with Isaiah here prophesying to the the southern kingdom, Judah, a place that was led and ruled by below-par kings and leaders, You know, the reality of kingdom living was very real to those in Judah. And yet there is a great similarity with the nation of Judah that we read here in Isaiah, uh, that that Isaiah is speaking to in these early chapters. You know, he's rebuking in tone as he prophesies to them uh, their future. Uh, There's a great similarity with them and the world we see today. 
with our nation, with our city, with our church. And the similarity isn't to do with us and them living under the rule of a king or queen. Our similarities aren't to do with their nation's history. But where we find ourselves most alike to these people of Judah, whom Isaiah is speaking to, is I think they are all living under the rule of another kingdom, the kingdom of self. See, this was a prideful nation, one whose glory days were long gone. Once God's people, you know, once they were God's people ruled by champions such as King David or King Solomon. But now, in the context of these early chapters, divided, rebellious, living under their own rule, members of the kingdom of self. This once glorious nation chosen by God was now being judged by God for they had rebelled. They had lived in wickedness. They had lived for self with a pride so great that they thought they were unstoppable and could not be brought down. A nation who trusted man while disregarding God. You know, doesn't this sound like our 21st century kingdom? Nations filled with pride, communities built on rebellion, a world that upholds and encourages the kingdom of self, you know, self-focus, self-satisfaction, self-reliance, self-righteousness, self-rule. These are the same unfortunate kingdom living we see all around us. And so in the time of Isaiah, God would use this prophet to speak to them what lies ahead for such a nation who lived in such a way. See, the chapters before our passage today, chapters 2 and 3 of Isaiah, reveals to us the immediate future for this nation of Judah if they continue to live to exalt themselves over God. And, and it doesn't look good. It's devastating and terrible. In verse uh, 11 in chapter 3, it says, Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. God's judgment is upon them for the wicked ways. There will be great loss. There will be humiliation. The Lord will remove all arrogant finery, it says. These are severe warnings for those in Judah that God's judgment would come to them if they keep exalting themselves. More than that, these were not just warnings, but as prophecy, they served as promises. See, if we read chapter 2 and 3 alone, they describe to us a bleak future for the nation of Judah, one where people would suffer loss and be humbled. You know, for the nation of Judah to receive such a, a prophecy would surely have rocked them to the core as they were reminded of the creator God who had, you know, had the power to deliver them from the clutches of Egypt and slavery. This same creator God who was on their side in wars and battles and defeated the enemies, the multiple enemies. This was a stern reminder and call to action for this once glorious, glorious nation of God's people. And yet, in spite of such a severe promise from God, Isaiah wanted to make, make it clear that the nation's present pride will not defeat God's ultimate plan to establish another kingdom, the kingdom of God. See, while chapter 2 and 3 describe the reality and bleakness of coming judgment for these people, chapter 4, our passage today, describes to Judah and to us today the message of hope, a glorious promise from the creator God. Let me read verse uh, two and three. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in, in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. 
So what I love about this passage in Isaiah was that it was very intentional when using, when he uses this description of this beautiful and glorious branch of the Lord. See, this imagery of a branch was not foreign to those in Judah. Uh, for those people of God, for a long time now, there was a, a, a hope that they had, one for a glorious earthly king, a, a Messiah that would come and assume the throne of David, one that was promised to them by God to rule and reign God's people in glory and splendor. And there was language, this, this language used often in the earliest Old Testament traditions that would point to this messianic hope. You know, David's last word, King David's last words in Second Samuel chapter 23 has him asking, will God not bring to fruition my salvation? And, and the word fruition better described as make it spring forth, which is an agricultural term. And then we see the psalmist, uh, the psalmist in Psalm 132 declares, here I will make a horn grow as in spring forth for David and set a lamp for mine anointed one. This was intentional agricultural imagery that connects the idea of a a springing forth with the coming of the Messiah from this, this line of David that the Israelites and the nation of Judah have been hoping for, the promise of a future Messiah king. So for Isaiah to use the language of a branch would have meant the people of Judah were reminded of the Lord's promise of the Messiah. And a few day, a few chapters later, Isaiah would say, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Later on in the Old Testament, Je- Jeremiah will refer to the righteous branch from David in, in Jeremiah chapter 23. So does Zechariah in chapter, in chapter 3 of his book using the term branch with messianic connotations. See, this branch Isaiah speaks of is alluding to the Messiah that they were hoping for, the promise of God's eternal uh, Davidic rule, ruler of the people. He will sprout forth like a new growth and be beautiful and glorious, that there will come a saviour who is truly beautiful and glorious, one who will be the pride and honour for those faithful who remain. And I love how Isaiah uses these words because they directly contrast the context of those in Judah at the time. Beautiful and glorious, you know, a glory and splendour, words that describe the very best qualities of attractiveness and honour. See, wherein the nation of Judah had men, women, leaders who were inferior in every aspect, men who thought themselves to be full of glory as they lived in the kingdom of self. Yet it was a false glory. For it says in chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, it says, For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply, all support of bread and all of support of water, the mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50, the man of rank, the counselor and the skillful magician and the expert in charms. And I will make boys their princes and infants shall rule over them. And the people will oppress one another, everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. Hardly a glory at all, a false glory, these men believed. There were women in Judah who were proud of their false, misplaced beauty, glorifying the importance of of treasure and a proud vanity. Yet Isaiah responds in chapter 3, verse 18, In that day the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the headbands and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets and the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes and the amulets. 
the signet rings and nose rings, the festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans and the veils. A false beauty that the Lord will take away. See, while the nation of Judah had depicted a a glory and a beauty in their own kingdom of self, Isaiah tells them, the God you once exalted can and will humble you and take these things away. And you one day will know of the true glory, real beauty seen in the branch of the Lord, the great hope, the Messiah, who springs forth like a new growth. You will truly see real beauty and glory of the kingdom of God. The glory and beauty that Judah was so proud of will be seen for what it really is. Inferior and wasted when compared to the wonderful promise of God's established kingdom. See, the arrogant human attempts to display beauty and glory will be humbled. And a new understanding of the beauty of God's blessings on the land will be made known. See, author R.C. Sproul says, By his grace, God would restore the fruitfulness of Israel through his branch, the Messiah. The Messiah, who we all live in the side of history we know is Jesus Christ, will be the pride and honour of the faithful survivors of Israel to faithful believers. Commentarian Ortland says, It's Jesus who replaces a false glory and beauty with a true desirability. See, for the people of Judah who Isaiah prophesied to, although the warning of judgment for their wicked ways was very real, there was a greater promise, one for those who remained faithful, for those who exalted not themselves but the Lord. The great hope of the Messiah would be their pride and honour. Judgment would not overwhelm the faithful, but there will be a day, it says in verse 2, that day, referring to the time God will establish the new heavens and new earth, the time we see as seen in Revelation 21, which we were just in last year, that at this day, God will rule his holy kingdom in eternity as he dwells among his people. It's this glorious day. The faithful survivors see the beauty and splendor of the messianic branch, Jesus, who will be exalted and the fruit of the land shall be transformed. Isaiah reminds Judah of this promise. What God will do is certain. Yet the question is, what's uncertain is what people will do. The question in Isaiah here in the early chapters is brought forward to us as Christians here today. What will you do? See, again, the issue with this nation of Judah was that they were living in their kingdom of self, glorifying themselves, proud in their ways, vain in their living and exalting fellow men and women over their creator. See, Isaiah's promise in our passage today is a beautiful reminder, but it's also a stern warning to us today as Christians. Are we not far from the nation of Judah too? Have we placed the beauty in our life in things such as materials, security, relationships? Have we glorified reputation, safety, money? Has our pride in our own achievements, struggles, experiences clouded who we exalt? See, the choice is clear and presented as two opposite alternatives, life with God in his glorious kingdom or frightful humiliation and destruction. Our passage reminds us that both the exaltation of God and the humbling of the proud on that day of the Lord will happen.
And the question is asked, which kingdom do you belong to? Does God rule your life? Knowing what's to come, no one should want to be among the proud of the day of accountability. We should want to be among those in the world who will enjoy the privilege of living in the joy that is God's kingdom. See, in this passage, we see Isaiah share to them, share to the people of Judah, these promises to help them choose between exalting themselves or exalting God, to continue living in their kingdom of self or live faithfully for the kingdom of God. And as we continue on in verse 3, we'll see Isaiah describe for us what it means to live as ones in, king, in the kingdom of God. So let's read verses 3 to 4. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall wash away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleanse the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. See, in verse 3, Isaiah continues speaking uh, to the people he last spoke to in verse 2. The survivors of Israel, those left in Zion, faithful believers, and they shall be called holy, he says. Holy, this word, set apart from the world. Holy, a distinct nation. Holy is a special people who live according to the standards of the Lord. Citizens of the kingdom of God. We can see the wonderful prophetic nature of this from Isaiah as he talks about this happening in the future day. One writer, Smith, says, On that day when the glory and beauty of the branch returns, God's cleansing of those left in Zion will transform them into a holy people, a select group whose names are securely recorded in God's books. The faithful who remain will be called holy, cleansed of the filth of sin, washed away, by the purifying from God. The faithful believers who live for the kingdom of God are deemed holy. Holy, fit to dwell in God's kingdom, contrasted with the sinfulness and pride of the present generation that lived in Judah, those in the kingdom of self. That day will be one of purification. Israel, the church, believers, cleansed fully of its sin, names written, recorded in God's book of life, inhabitants of the new Jerusalem, the eternity with our Lord. And this is all made possible, not by our own doing, but by the work of Jesus, our beautiful and glorious branch. See, Jesus lived the holy life we could not, the perfectly righteous life who took on the punishment of the unholy, that for those who believe in him as their Lord, their King, Jesus the Messiah would stand on their behalf on that day in front of the Father to deem us holy by the work of his Son. No wonder Jesus stands forth as our beauty and our pride. He's the very reason we have our names written in the book of life. See, so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that he might become the righteousness of God in him. But while we wait for that day to be called holy in front of our Lord, as people of the kingdom of God, we've been called to live a life of holiness right now. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 16. It says, Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, 
set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. As a people of God, ruled by him, residents of his kingdom, we are called to a holy life now. And this shouldn't be a surprise. See, God has called this of his people since the beginning. You know, Peter's passage I just quoted just then uh, was Peter quoting actually from the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 11 in verse 44, which says, For I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Which is where the nation of Judah went wrong in the first place, to have Isaiah come and prophesy to them. See, their kingdom of self, their kingdom of self-living had disregarded their pursuit of holiness. They were not in a right relationship with God. They were pursuing their own pride, their own glory, their own beauty, and they were not a people in right relationship with God pursuing holiness. They were not set apart from this world, which we should. Those who are holy, who are set apart from the world, they live for the kingdom of God. They are ruled by the Lord. See, for us today, our call is believing in Jesus as our saviour and surrendering our lives to him. And while we wait for the final day where God will indeed call his people holy, until then, we live as a holy people. As born-again believers, recognise our position in Christ. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvellous light. See, as we head out of today's service, be reminded of your standing in Jesus, that by the work of the beautiful and glorious branch of the Lord, we are called holy. Be encouraged, be convicted, be joyful, be challenged to live as holy ones. Residents of the kingdom of God. You know, it's hard in the real world. In the real world, it's, it's a lot easier to live like those in Judah, to live for the kingdom of self, to live out of our pride, our own glory, our own false beauty, to bask in our sinful ways. But I want to leave you with the wonderful imagery of the final two verses, verse 5 and 6. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day, and smoke, and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat, and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. So Exodus chapter 40 describes the glory of God filling the tabernacle in this way with the Israelites. In 1 Kings chapter 8, it describes the glory of God filling the temple like this, exactly how we just read it. Now it says, on that day, God's glory will not just fill the tabernacle, will not just fill the temple, but the whole site of Mount Zion and her assemblies. See, one writer says, God is moving toward, is moving us toward a time when his glorious presence will cover his whole church and all local gatherings of believers. This kingdom isn't ruled by somebody who is distant, who is out of reach. 
This is a kingdom where the king is close. See, this canopy, a wedding canopy, illustrates for us an intimacy and a joy with our Lord for eternity. For us as a people, what beautiful picture this is for us of the coming day that we so achingly wait for. Motya, a writer named Motya, when talking about mankind, says, glory had been their condemnation and pride their ruin, but now the divine glory will dwell among them and they will rightly pride themselves in him. So I want to encourage you, live as ones who are already part of the kingdom of God. Live in right relationship with our good God. Pursue holiness. And we do this by remembering each day the beauty and glory that is the branch, Jesus Christ. He is our pride and honour. It's by his blood we are washed clean. It's by his grace we are saved. How beautiful and glorious is the God we see in these early chapters of Isaiah. He is at the centre of all future promises. It's God who will wash away sin and make it possible for people to be holy. It's God who writes people's names in his book. It's God who will create a new heaven and new earth where his glorious presence will be protection, will be the protection of his people. It's God's messianic branch that saves. Smith sums up this passage passage by saying, God is the one people can trust and he is the one to exalt. The future of this world is completely dependent on God. Praise him for his wonderful promises with Jesus Christ as our joy, pride and honour. Let's pray together. Father, as we read and we see in Isaiah a nation that's in shambles, a nation uh, that were called your people who have uh, fleed from you, who have lived in a way to, to live in a kingdom of self, glorifying themselves, exalting in themselves. We can't be reminded, uh, we can't help but be reminded of the world that we look around us, whether it be close, whether it be in our homes, whether it be in our city, in our nation, in our world, Lord. We know that we are a sinful people and we see this all around us. We're so prone to exalt ourselves. We're so prone to live for ourselves. But Lord, as we read of your promise, your wonderful promise of your messianic branch, that he is the true glory, the true beauty that one day everyone will see and know. Lord, we are so joyful to know that that day will come as you are a God who fulfills promises. Lord, you are a faithful God. And Lord, as a people who are called to be holy, may we live as a people who are in the kingdom of God. May we be reminded each and every day of the beauty and the glory of the branch, Jesus Christ, that we may pursue holiness Uh, as he uh, reminding ourselves of what he has done, that he will take our place and stand there in front of you to deem us worthy in front of you, Lord. We thank you so much and we pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.